This is episode 169, and we're talking about a very uh, controversial figure, um, Jerry Lee Lewis. But before yeah. that, Mike got a special sponsor for us, and he will read the direction of where we can find these guys. Okay, uh, this episode sponsored by Park Dental Care, 12419 101st Avenue in Richmond Hill, Queens. You can call them at 718-847-3800, and their website is 718dentist.com. And uh, Rob, I've been going to them for over 25 years. They're great dentists. They don't hurt. And a uh, bunch of good people in there. Check them out. All right. Sounds good. So today we're talking about this man right here. Jerry Lee Lewis, also known as the killer. Yes. Killer. One of rock and roll's pioneers from the 1950s. Um, a guy that is still alive. He's uh, 87 years old, I believe. He's still alive. Um, and uh, he recently, not too long ago, a few years ago, put out an album. So he's still pretty active. I know he had a, a stroke a couple years ago, but I believe he's recovering from that pretty well. So uh, hopefully he will come back on the road because he never left. He, he was from 19... 56 or so 55 56 i'll get into all the dates and the whole timeline but you know he, he's been with us the whole time and he's to be honest with you he's very unique because he's one of the only guys to transition kind of from rock and roll to country and a little bit back to rock and roll again uh and he, and he made his cousin yeah, well, that was a big controversy back in, in the late 50s. I'll go into that. That's probably one of his most well-known things. I mean, he was, first, he was rock and roll's first wild man. Yeah. Uh, he really just kind of was crazy, and people thought he was nuts by his antics. and uh, But the whole cousin thing, yeah, we'll get into that and what happened with that. Dude, um, think about it. This guy sold 300,000 records in 1956. How fucking that's crazy a lot that? of records. <laughs> that's a lot of records for rock and roll when it was just, you know, in its infancy. You know? And Mike, before we start this show, I'd love to give um, Steve uh, Steve Austin, Broken Skull IPA, pretty good beer. Mike picked it up at his local uh, brewery. Mm-hmm. I got a nice little uh, full pack of this, and then uh, it's a six point seven. It's a good drinking beer, and it'll lump you up. That's like uh, a it's like a Budweiser and a half whenever every you can. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna there crack go. this bad boy open <laughs> as we talk in the show. I'm gonna get lumped up. There you go. Maybe you you need a couple of uh, little shots out of that shot glass I gave you from New oh, Orleans. Yeah, the, uh, New Orleans, well, where the hell is it? I got it somewhere here. <laughs> oh man, I made a mess. I am That's a mess. A... <laughs> oh yeah, right here. Voodoo glass. The voodoo baby, voodoo magic. <laughs> oh, and I also want to do uh, one of our listeners, one of our good friends, listener, um, sent me a book. Uh, Mike read this book. You know what I'm talking about, Mike? Oh, uh, Don's book. Yeah. Oh, he gave you a copy. Nice. We're going to be interviewing him. 
Let me give it a little shout out right here. So I'm going to read yep. a little bit of this yep. bad boy. Love's before. adultery and the bright shiny object. Everybody, yeah. get that book. You're going to yes. learn more about it real soon in another upcoming episode of Rocker Mike and Rob presents. Yep. All right, Mike. So let's start the show. We already plugged everybody. We need to plug in. Let's go on with the show. Okay, so again, we're talking about Jerry Lee Lewis, and like I said, he was known as rock and roll's first wild man. He's nicknamed the killer, okay, and he's really one of the original rock and roll guys on Sun Records as well, out of uh, out of Memphis and Nashville. Uh, other what? other people they call him the killer. Why they kill him? I, I I always yeah. thought it was just his his whole attitude. He was a he was a crazy man, and the way he banged the piano like he was killing it. You know, yeah. could be there could be other reasons. I'm not sure. He could have gone now and Dick Cheney somebody. Oh shit, could be, could be. <laughs> I mean, he he was he was from the rural part of Louisiana. I'm sure he knows how to fire a gun. <laughs> um, and he did he did get arrested for guns and stuff. So we'll, we'll get into that. Um, oh, now he was on Sun Records at the time of uh, Elvis, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, Roy Orbison, all those guys. Um, he was born September 29th, 1935, so he's got a birthday coming up. He was born to, uh, his father's name was Elmo Kid Lewis Sr., and his mother was Mary Mamie Heron Lewis in Faraday, Louisiana. Um, his family were poor farmers in that kind of eastern section of Louisiana. Uh, as a youth, he began playing the piano with two of his cousins. Now, two of his cousins were famous. Uh, one was Mickey Gilly, who would go on to be a popular country singer. Yep. And Jimmy Swaggart was his cousin. Jimmy Swaggart, the televangelist, the wow. disgraced tele televangelist, as you know. Okay. <laughs> um, his parents at one point mortgaged their farm to actually buy him a piano. So he was showing a lot of uh, promise at an early age. So was um, he like a child prodigy in music? Not in the sense of, uh, in a way, but not in the sense of like learning how to read music and, and uh, the proper. I don't think he ever took a lesson as far as I know. Okay. He's kind of self-taught. So in that sense, yeah, you know, he really taught himself how to play. Um, but he was, you know, he was influenced by uh, a cousin of his named Carl McVoy, who later played with Bill Black's Combo, which was a famous uh, early rock and roll combo that recorded with Elvis and, and a few people. Um, other influences included just the radio. He, he listened to rock and roll on the radio, early R&B country and Western. There really was no rock and roll yet at that point. Um, and there was a place in town in Faraday called Haney's Big House, which was a black juke joint, okay? And it was what on the that? other side. Of the, it was on the other side of the tracks from where he was. A juke joint? Yeah, it's just that? like a bar with a jukebox oh, okay. and people dance. Or they, sometimes they have live music. You know, it was like uh, what, what it, white people would call it a honky-tonk type of bar, okay? okay? And black people called it a juke joint. But it just... Uh, you know, he was he he, he you know the, the the town at in those days Louisiana was segregated, but he hung out just like Elvis did in the in the black section. And he had black friends and all that. Yeah. Now on November nineteenth, nineteen forty nine, uh, Lewis made his first public performance of his career, playing with a country and western band at a car dealership in Faraday, and the hit that he had on his set that everybody loved was a cover of the R&B artist Styx McGee, uh, his song, Drinking Wine, Spo D.O.D., okay? Uh, and again, this was a time when, you know, it was the South was segregated, unfortunately, and 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 a white guy performing black R&B was a no-no, was a okay? But he did it anyway, and it turned out to be a hit. So his mother enrolled him at the Southwest Bible Institute in Waxachachi, Texas. Wow. Uh, so that he could basically just sing evangelical songs exclusively. I have a feeling that his parents didn't take too highly to what he was singing about, and he had to get some old-fashioned, you know, religion back in his yeah. life. <laughs> there was Bible beating him. Bible thumping. So yeah. when Lewis 
at the at the school. Uh, at, there was a performance at the school, and he dared to play like a boogie woogie rendition of the gospel song "My God Is Real." Okay, it was at a church assembly. He got expelled the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Sent hey, his southern ass. It's funny that they don't want him singing these black music, and a lot of those gospel music were pretty written by blacks. Do they even? They, know yeah, and and they were they were they were they were sung in black churches too. Yeah, you know. But if you do it, if you did it with that R and B, oh my God, that R and B rhythm, that jungle <laughs> rhythm, right? <laughs> so they sent his southern ass back to Faraday. All right. And uh, when he got home, he just started performing um, in the clubs around that town. Also, uh, he went into a town called Natchez, Mississippi, which was not too far away. And he became part of this new burgeoning rock and roll sound that was starting to come yeah. out of the South. Um, he cut his first demo in 1952 in New Orleans with um, a producer named Cosimo Vincent Matassa. He was a studio owner. And a recording engineer in the early rock and roll days. He was, he was an older man at the time, but he had a vision, and a lot of people did record for him demos and stuff like that. Around 1955, he traveled to Nashville, where he played in the clubs and attempted to build interest in himself. Uh, but he was turned down by the Grand Ole Opry. He tried to get on the Grand Ole Opry, um, but they, were, they turned him down because he had already appeared on the Louisiana Hayride show, which was a competing show. So the Grand Ole Opry didn't like him too much. Um, in November of 1956, Jerry Lee Lewis traveled to Memphis, Tennessee, to audition for Sun Records. Um, the Sun Records label owner, as you know, was Sam Phillips. He actually was not there. He was on a trip to Florida at the time. So producer and engineer Jack Clement recorded Jerry Lee Lewis's rendition of Ray Price's Crazy Arms and also an original track called End of the Road. Um, basically, uh, this was in, in, in December of 56, and he you know, started to record a lot of demos and stuff, and he was also working as a session musician for people at Sun Records. Yeah. So his it's very... was that? He was working with some big guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his very distinctive piano sound is heard on a lot of people's records, yeah. right? including Carl Perkins, a song called Matchbox, a song called Your True Love. Um, and then there's a Billy Lee Riley's Flying Sources of Rock and Roll. You, you can hear him playing on that. Yeah. Um, on December 4th, 1956, Elvis Presley dropped in for a social call at uh, – Sun Records to say hi to Sam Phillips, and Perkins was in the studio you cutting new tracks. Drugs? We all know Elvis. You know El Elvis provided the pills. We all know that story. <laughs> Don't blame Elvis. He was just trying to make some extra money. It's okay. <laughs> well, he dropped in at the time to say hi to Sam Phillips, and Carl Perkins was in the studio cutting some new tracks, and Jerry Lee Lewis was on piano. Uh, Johnny Cash was also there just kind of hanging around. And the four of them started uh, a little jam session on the fly. And uh, Sam Phillips left the tape recording. And these recordings, half of which were gospel songs, okay, became known as the Million Dollar Quartet. Uh, I brought this up last time when we talked about Johnny Cash and Elvis, the Sun Years, all that. Yeah. Um, this, this was something that was lost for many, many decades, really. And it was discovered and put out, and it was called the Million Dollar Quartet. Now, other tracks on the album include Elvis's Don't Be Cruel and Chuck Berry's Brown-Eyed Handsome Man. Now, Jerry Lee Lewis's own singles, on which he was billed as Jerry Lee Lewis and His Pumping Piano, that was the title on the record, advanced his career as a soloist in 1957. Now, with such hits as, uh, you know, a whole lot of shaking going on, yeah, uh, that was originally done by a uh, big, a uh, big Maybell, okay, a black female black singer, and uh, "Great Balls of Fire," okay, which was his biggest hit of all time, uh, brought him international fame. Despite the 
the lyrics. The lyrics were a problem for that song. Some of the stations, you know, banned him across the country. Yeah. Because, you know, for some reason, people thought they were. He was talking about balls, like testicles. It's like, I don't know. He is talking, I, he is talking almost about let's get it on. You know, <laughs> that he's talking about. That he's talking about. But he, you know, they, great balls of fire. They thought he was talking about balls. Come on, yeah, ridiculous. Okay, I mean, isn't that isn't that an expression anyway? Like, oh, great balls of fire or something. You yeah. know, isn't that like yeah? So, uh, some of the stations were banning the song. Now, you know. Jerry Lee Lewis is, is was an interesting guy because he was a bit of a walking, or he is still a, a walking contradiction. He has these deep-rooted religious convictions, okay? Uh, comes from his upbringing and, and where he grew up. But, you know, he, he also had this rock and roll wild man side. So yeah. even, he, even he at times, especially early in his career, doubted, what he was doing, like you know, he he, he thought, "Am I, am I sending, am I, am I leading the youth of America to the road to the hell?" You know what I mean, like that kind of thing, you know. And uh, he would go back and forth with it, especially in the early part of his career. But you know, the music won out, okay. And as part of his act, what he used to do was pound the keys of the piano with his feet, and he kicked the bench back. When he jump up, he kick it back. And he would play standing up exactly like that. You know, he would kick he would kick his his bench out. Now, actually, according to him, the, the bench being kicked out was really more of a it started out as an accident one time. Like it just slipped behind him. But everybody went wild when they saw it. They thought he did it on purpose. So he kept it as part of his act, you know, for the rest of his career. Yeah. You know. Um now. Jerry Lee Lewis at times was even known to set his piano on fire. Okay. Uh, he did that. He did that in concert. Okay. Uh, now his dynamic performance can be seen in such films as high school confidential, which is a great B movie from the fifties. Everybody should check out. Uh, Mamie Van Doren is in it. She was beautiful. Um, he sings the, uh, the, the, the title track high school confidential on a flatbed truck in the beginning of that movie. You see him. Um, his first national TV gig was on the Steve Allen show in New York City on July 28th, 1957, where he played a whole lot of shaking going on. Uh, his music is also featured in the 1957 movie Jamboree. Uh, just to mention, Steve Allen at the time uh, had his own show, and he would go on to be, I think, the first host of The Tonight Show. Yeah, I was uh, going to ask you, did it that Steve Allen was... What's the thing that winded up turning on into the Tonight Show? That's pretty yeah, got the yeah. Idea. Like he 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 had started that, and it became the Tonight Show, and then he left, and got Johnny Carson came on, you know. Okay. But uh, Steve Allen, I believe, was the first host of the Tonight Show. But before he did that, he had his own show, and he was kind of um. If you see the guy now, you think he's kind of a goofy looking guy, but he was actually like pretty hip. Like he had a lot of young acts rock and roll acts at yeah. the time you know he didn't mind taking a little risk and uh jerry lee lewis at the time was a risk okay um you know i mean I, I think that people at that time were getting used to elvis okay and some of the other acts out there that were coming up but when jerry lee lewis came along and you know he, he just freaked a lot of people out okay and I give credit to Steve Allen, you know, to put him on because that actually sent his his music skyrocketing. Okay, after that, after that appearance, because everybody was talking about the appearance on the show. Yeah, and um, um, also in in, in tribute, uh, when when Jerry Lewis is is married to uh, Myra, which is his cousin, their first kid together, he named Stephen Allen Lewis. And sadly, that boy would drown. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Damn. But yeah, he named his first, you know, kid with her, Stephen Allen Lewis. Now, um, Lewis, his often turbulent and unpredictable life was hidden from the public. All right. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis had a lot going on in his life. You know, he, he 
was he drank a lot he, he he did he did drugs maybe not so much at this time but he definitely did stuff like that uh he was known to be crazy okay yeah. and what would happen is uh the uk really took to his music even more than america okay and if you ask anybody from the 1960s music scene out of england uh mick jagger keith richards any of those you know the beatles any of those british invasion bands the kinks okay they all pointed to to jerry lee lewis even more than elvis okay yeah. then yeah and his his music was very popular in england now unfortunately he would this would come to an end because at least for a little while because in 1958 in may of that year he started the british tour and he had recently married his second cousin or sometimes you say first cousin once removed yeah. okay uh she was 13 years old okay uh, her name was myra gale brown now when he got to the airport there was journalists the Heath heathrow airport in, in london uh there were journalists to greet him there and there was a journalist named ray berry who was at the airport and shortly after the arrival he discovered a young girl was in the entourage and he inquired about who she was she looked very young and somebody said that that was jerry lee lewis's wife okay and he called him out at the press conference you know is this your wife she looks very young you can see these clips on yeah. youtube it's actually out there and uh it was depicted well in the movie great balls of fire too um and he just he didn't give a shit like he, he you know some people said some people warned him don't bring her on the tour and he was like no if she don't go i don't go okay uh they really did love each other despite that young age and he wasn't doing anything illegal Okay, he was married legally. Okay, well, technically, actually, technically, that's not true. Okay, because when he married Myra, he didn't have a divorce from his first wife. Damn. Okay, so he was a bigamist. And that was really, that was more, almost more of a problem than actually marrying the, the child bride. Okay. Wasn't Myra his third wife? I think his second, maybe his second or third. I'm not sure. He was married before. Yeah. I think I think it was his third wife. Actually, he was already twice divorced or something like that. Yeah. But he was the divorce. The divorce wasn't final, and he had married her thinking it was or not caring or something. So he eventually had to marry her over again once this was all worked out. But yeah. while he was in England, you know, he gets he gets you know uh on the spot put on the spot about this and he says oh well she's 15. well they found out that she was really 13 mm. and that you know that actually when that broke he had a bunch of gigs lined up in the uk um he only ended up doing a few of them and he was asked to leave the country pretty much after three shows so <laughs> the rest of the tour was canceled and what you know the jerry lee lewis management and whatever sun records they tried to squash this but couldn't and the story got out in the united states by the time he got back and it really the guy went from playing big theaters and you know big big shows with thousands of people down to like a hundred people in a club yeah okay yeah he went from the top to the bottom bad start over basically Real okay quick. now in 1960 sam phillips opened a new state-of-the-art studio in memphis okay he also opened another sun studio in nashville so he had two and it was at that studio that jerry lee lewis recorded his only major hit during this period where he was kind of on the outs and it was a rendition of Ray Charles' What I Say, Ray, the Ray Charles song. That was in 1961. Uh, in Europe, other updated versions of Sweet Little Sixteen and Good Golly Miss Molly were recorded in 1962 and 63, respectively. 
Um, there were some popular EPs in the early 60s. Uh, one called Hang Up My Rock and Roll Shoes. I've Been Twisting Money and Hello Josephine. Uh, also, they became kind of like turntable hits, um, especially at these these new things in England called discotheques, all right, where people would come and listen to music. Yeah, this was in the 60s. You know, that stuff was starting to be popular. Um, another recording of Jerry Lee Lewis playing an instrumental boogie arrangement of the Glenn Miller Orchestra's In the Mood was issued on Phillips International label under the pseudonym The Hawk. He didn't go under his name with that. The Hawk. The Hawk. Now, Jerry Lee Lewis's record contract with Sun Records ended in 1963. Wasn't selling many records, so he left to sign with Smash Records, uh, which was a subsidiary of Mercury Records. He made several rock and roll recordings for Smash, but none of them did too much for his career at this point. Uh, the team at Smash came up with a track called I'm on Fire. Uh, Mercury Records, the parent company, um, basically thought they found the perfect song for him. Okay. Uh, comeback in a sense. But what happened was he, you know, it, it was starting to do well. And then the whole musical landscape changed that year because the Beatles came. Yeah, the Beatles, because there's always thing about um, a lot of the musicians did not like the Beatles when they came in. Well, Jerry Lee Lewis, I was watching a, a documentary preparing for the show, and I saw a clip where, you know, he brings that up. He said, yeah, you know, it, it, it knocked a lot of us out of the charts. He goes, I like the Beatles. He goes, but Elvis, Elvis had a big problem with the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and... uh there was a time when uh, at some point the Beatles would meet Jerry Lee Lewis. And there's a story where when John Lennon met him for the first time, he got down and kissed his feet. <laughs> and he said, he said, you know, if it wasn't for like great balls of fire, I would, I wouldn't be playing a whole lot of shaking, whichever I wouldn't be playing rock and roll today, you know? So, uh, the whole musical landscape really changed. Um, he didn't. He did return though in 1963 to the UK. That's when when he met the Beatles, um, and he can he finished that tour that he was supposed to do five years earlier, and it was it was successful. And completed the tour. Yeah, yeah. So he basically uh, did very well. And interestingly enough. Um, on that tour in the UK, Richie Blackmore and the Outlaws were backing him up. Richie Blackmore would go on to start Deep Purple and play with Screaming Lord Such and all that stuff. Okay, oh, that's a great, that's such a great act. Yeah, Screaming Lord Such. Yeah, definitely. Now, at this point in his career, Jerry Lewis was a big concert draw. He wasn't selling a lot of records, but he was a big concert draw. Um, Ain't that weird that a lot of bands are just like that? They don't sell record, but they got, it's so good live that people people wouldn't it, wouldn't shouldn't it be different. You would think people want to hear them more. Um, you would think, but but I think people just you know by reputation, by word of mouth at that time. I mean, there was no internet or anything, so people just knew that he he was a wild, crazy show. Okay, and it didn't necessarily translate into selling records for some reason. Um. They wanted to hear the hits from him. You know, I guess they didn't care if he had some, you know, new song or whatever, you know. Um, these lost years of the early 60s, however, did produce one gem. And I think when we go back to do our live, you know, best live albums. Yeah. We're probably going to do that in, in early 2023. Um, there was one album that he recorded, a live album called Live at the Star Club in Hamburg. Germany. Wow. It was it was recorded with the Nashville teens backing him in 1964, and it's considered one of the greatest live albums ever by anybody. Uh, it was recorded for the German Dutch label Philips Records with producer Siggy Loke. Okay, and they record. He was a Siggy Loke was a jazz producer, so he was brought in to do this, which is interesting. Um, and it's, it's absolutely one of the craziest live records that you'd ever hear, okay? It really recorded him at a peak, 
okay, of his of his live playing. Um, the sound production on this album is interesting. The piano is very upfront, very loud, okay. And uh, Jerry Lee, I don't know if he's lumped up or, or what, but like he slurs his lyrics a little bit, and uh, he's screaming with total abandon of you know anything. And uh, this it's thirteen songs long, and it's really like a noisy crashing kind of album it's it's very unique everybody should check it out it's very short it's like maybe about 35 minutes long but uh the live at the star club in hamburg fantastic record now lewis stayed with smash records despite not selling a lot of records he was going to leave the label in 68 when his promoting manager eddie kilroy called him up with an uh, an idea he said, why don't you record a pure country album in Nashville, okay, which was the country mecca at the time, still is. Now, country music was something very close to Jerry Lee's heart, and he had recorded some country songs over the years, uh, especially early on with Sun, but it was never really pushed publicly. You know, if you bought an album, there might be some country songs on there, but it was never yeah. a single. Uh, Crazy Arms, his first single is is country, uh, and it did well. But once Whole Lot of Shaking came out and Great Balls of Fire, he was known for for that kind of stuff. But he said, with nothing to lose, he said, you know, he had nothing to lose. So he agreed to record the Jerry Chestnut song, Another Place, Another Time, which is an old kind of like, you know, Gene Autry, Hank Williams type song. Okay. Yeah that he liked when he was a kid, okay? Um, and it was released as a single on March 9th, 1968. And to everybody's amazement, it shot up the charts. Uh, he had been doing, um, at the time, he was actually doing some acting. He, he, he took some time to do some acting. He was playing in a, uh, the, <clears throat> a rock and roll version of Shakespeare's Othello. He was the Iago character. And it was called it was called Catch My Soul, and it was playing out in Los Angeles. Um, you know, he recorded this single, went back to do some shows, acting, and he got you know when he realized he had a hit, they they dragged him back to Nashville to record another batch of songs with producer Jerry Kennedy. Now, this whole thing began a sequence of unexpected kind of hits all in a row. All right in the country genre. Now, country songs were, like I said, always part of his act, uh, but people viewed this as a radical shift from what he was doing. And in, in a sense, it was, okay? But remember, rock and roll, especially, especially early rock and roll, really, you know, it was 50% country music anyway. So for him, it, 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 didn't, it didn't really make much of a difference. He didn't view it as a big change, but the rest of the world did. Yeah. Uh, the song, the song, another place, another time, would go to number four on the country charts, and it would stay in those charts for a total of seventeen weeks. Now, between nineteen sixty-eight and sixty and nineteen seventy-seven, those nine years, Jerry Lee Lewis had seventeen top ten singles on the Billboard country charts, including four number ones. That's insane. This included and this. This is one of my favorites right here. It's one of my favorite country songs of all time. What's made Milwaukee famous? has made a loser out of me. It's about, <laughs> about drinking. Okay, it's about drinking, all right? And uh, a track called To Make Love Sweeter For You. Uh, she still comes around to love what's left of me. Uh, since I met you, baby, once more with feeling. One has my name, the other has my heart. That was a, another hit. And sometimes a memory ain't enough. All those songs did very well in that nine-year period. Now, the production of these country songs you have to talk about because they weren't typical Nashville recordings. Nashville at the time, and it's it's still the, the country mecca, but they were known for these lavish productions, you know, with orchestras and, and things like that. And, and he didn't go that route. He didn't go that route. It was a simple production um, of, 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 uh, of him playing the piano. Okay, he would have a backing band. But it was very simple, almost like recorded live in the studio. Um, and most critics were really amazed because 
he could sing very soulfully and it, that had never showed too much in his in his rock and roll performances because he was always kind of screaming and jumping up and down and you know acting crazy but when he wanted to sing a ballad the guy could do it all wow. right yeah i mean and they, people were comparing him to george jones they were comparing him to merle haggard all right and these were contemporary country artists from the 60s that you know were, were huge hits Huge, huge artist, and he was right I mean, there. Jones home. is a big freaking. He's like a big deal in Nashville. <laughs> you know, you go there, they, they got a whole bar yeah. name after him. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you've been there, right? Yeah, yeah. That's one place I got to hit. I've never been there. You got to go there. It's a great time. Yeah, yeah. Now, in a re very remarkable turn of events, Jerry Lee Lewis became the most bankable country star in the world. All right. He was so huge in 1970 that his former Smash Records producer, Shelby Singleton, uh, purchased Sun Records from Sam Phillips in July of 1969. Now, he actually wasted no time once he got his hands on all these recordings by Jerry Lee Lewis and others. Um, he repackaged a lot of old country recordings that were not released that Jerry Lee had done and packaged them as, I mean, he didn't say they were new, but people thought they were all new songs. So he was constantly coming out with, with these new records on Smash that were recordings of things he had done on Sun, which is fine because it, it was the, you know, he owned the company at that point. Yeah. You know, um, and they, you know, they were very, uh, very popular. Um, one of the songs was called One Minute Past Eternity, and that was issued as a single. And it got to number two on the country charts right away. Uh, Sing Singleton would kind of milk this for a while, for a few years. Uh, a bunch of albums would come out like The Golden Cream of Country and A Taste of Country. That came out in 1970. Uh, these were big hit albums on the country charts for Jerry Lee. Now, early in his career, I mentioned before, he was denied to perform on the Grand Ole Opry. And guess uh, what? He's performing. <laughs> and yep, okay. He at that time was so popular that they couldn't turn him down. Okay, so he finally, on January twentieth, nineteen seventy-three, got his shot at the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville. Now, he was told to play the standard eight minutes that you got when you went on that show, and you had to you had to take a break for a commercial. Okay, there was commercial breaks in that eight minutes of music yeah. that you would get. Now, <laughs> Jerry Lee didn't listen. I guess he figured this was his one of the only shot to play the Grand Ole Opry. So he played for 40 minutes straight, and he ignored all the commercial breaks, which had to be – it had to be held to try to like I, – I, 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 I would love to look this up <laughs> and see if you could see it because I would imagine they went to a commercial break – while he's playing, and, he's and then playing. came back and he's still playing. I mean, how else could, if he wasn't stopping, how else could you do it, right? That's the only way you could do it, you know? I have to see if that's the case. But uh, he, uh, he he did it like that. He didn't stop. The whole crowd was going crazy. They were loving it. He did total raucous versions of Great Balls of Fire and a whole lot of shaking going on. Good Golly, Miss Molly, originally done by Little Richard. Okay, um, as well as the country hits that he had. So he really went all out. Um, uh, he was never asked again. <laughs> to come back. Shocking. Shocking. Now, right after that, um, I, I should say a little bit before that, earlier in 71, uh, he had recorded Me and Bobby McGee, which I believe was written by Krista Christopherson, right, for Janis Joplin um, in 1971. He had also done Chantilly Lace by the Big Bopper in 1972. And it was after the success of these two singles that Mercury Records flew Jerry Lee Lewis to London in 1973 to record with a whole bunch of British and Irish musicians, including Rory Gallagher, Kenny Jones, and Albert Lee. Now, accounts from these sessions said that they were very tense, not an easy guy to work with. Um, the album that came out of this was called The Session. It's very interesting. It's a good listen. Um, the Session, Southern Roots? The Sessions, right? No, 
Not not the southern roots, just called the session. Okay. Um, yeah, the southern roots one is a, is another great record coming up. Um, the only uh, the session would produce a hit. Okay, on the country and pop charts, which was a remake of the old song "Drinking Wine Spodod" that he had done many many years ago, and it would be his highest charting album since 1964's golden hits of Jerry Lee Lewis hitting number 37. Yeah. Now, this got to number four on the Billboard country charts, and later that same year, he recorded in Memphis the soul-infused album Southern Roots, Back Home to Memphis. I had never heard this record, and I, I, I played it the other day in my yard about 11 o'clock at night while I was getting lumped up, and it's a great record. Oh, yeah? Great record. Um, I listened to it all the way through. And I, I'll be honest with you. When I said I wanted to do a show on Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, I, I really I, I had to think about how familiar I was with, with the country. With, with, what's that, Rob? With his music and the, his style. Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew quite a bit of his music, including some of the country stuff, but, but not enough of the country stuff that I was – I thought about it. I said, wow, there's a lot that I really haven't heard. And uh, I put this record on, and it's kind of a, a mix of country and soul. Southern Roots, back home to Memphis. Uh, fantastic. He does some covers. Uh, um, real just like simple live in the studio recording. It's it, There's a track, I think the, it's the last track called The, the Church on Bourbon Street. And I, I loved it. Um it's all about drinking on Bourbon Street, but yet you, you're sorry for your sins and you're going to church, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I like that music. Maybe I relate to it. I don't, I don't know. You know, you know what it is, like with his controversial career and all this other stuff going on, the guy came when, like he went like in um, up and down all the time. Like he would have hits, he would disappear for a while, they come back, it's like, it's like the old saying, how can I miss you if I see you all the time, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he 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 would disappear for a couple of years and reemerge again. Yeah, um, yeah I, it's just the guy is too talented, you know, and, and too good. And in those days, you know, that stuff sold a lot, you know, that kind of music. Um, now, the, the, the Southern Roots album, when they were making that, uh, yeah, that was very contentious too, okay? Yeah. He was... He was hurling insults at the musicians, cursing people out. He threatened to kill the band photographer. Uh, <laughs> no wonder they killed him the killer. The killer, yeah. His drinking, his drinking and his pill taking. Okay, that was what he was into. All right. I mean, and it, it went back to the 20 years earlier when he was with Sun and the early days when, when everybody took amphetamines to stay awake to record or to, to get to the next gig in between gigs on the road. This hooked a lot of people. Uh, Johnny Cash was, was bad with that. Uh, Elvis had problems with pills later on in life, you know. Um, also, I think his ego was was out of hand, too. Um, some interviews I've seen say that, you know, everybody was kind of just, and this happens to celebrities today. Everybody was telling them, yes, yeah, you could do that. Yes, yeah, go ahead. Yes, 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 yes. You know, and everybody's, you know, getting your stuff and whatever, and you just end up going down this this horrible path. Um, Didn't um, Johnny Cash also did something like that? He started doing like, um, he started doing more like a religious record when he got older. That was years later with Rick Rubin. He kind of yeah. reinvented himself in the in the nineties, um, and he he that was a fantastic run of records that he had. Yeah. He won. A, he won a he won a couple of Grammys too. I think, yeah. uh, that's great stuff. Um, the, uh, the it's called the American Recordings. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a series of recordings that Rick Rubin had produced. Simple acoustic yeah. recordings. With I mean, there's that version of Hurt from yeah. Nine Inch Nails, you know, which which uh, Trent Reznor says is better than the original. He wrote it. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost feel like the. That uh, he was following, like Jerry Jerry Lee Lewis' path of let me go they, for they, they had yeah they had similarities they were friends they knew each other 
Okay, yeah. they had similarities. They came from a similar background, poor farming background, uh, uh, and that evangelist, you know, uh, Bible thumping Christianity background. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's definitely similar. Uh, Johnny Cash, I mean, I mean, uh, Jerry Lee didn't really reinvent himself like Johnny Cash did and, and appeal to a younger audience stuff. Okay, that's yeah. the difference. Uh, Johnny Cash somehow was able to do that. If you remember in the 90s when those records came out, he had he had a whole audience that probably you know, when he started wasn't even born. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, and 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 it really just attracted this this younger audience for some reason he tapped into it. It might have had to do with Rick Rubin's reputation, I, I don't know. Okay, but uh Jerry Lee never did that. But he was able to hold on to his 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 audience and and get a new country audience on yeah. top of you know <clears throat> now um, basically uh, he would he would stay he would stay with um, Mercury and Smash Records until 1979 when he would switch over to Elektra Records uh, they produced he produced a self titled album just called Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, sales on that were disappointing. Um, he kind of tread water for a few years, but in 1986, he was one of the inaugural inductees in the new Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, at that point, he wasn't doing too well health-wise. All right, he was looking very frail. He had several hospitalizations due to stomach problems that he had. Uh, he, had he actually lost about half his stomach, I believe, due yeah. to ulcers. And things like that. Uh, and that's all from drinking and, and pills, pretty much. Um, he was he was uh, responsible at that at that inaugural uh, get-together of the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. He was the guy that was responsible for the jam at the end. He's the guy that did that first. Wow. And he got all them to jam together at the end. And now that's a tradition every time they do the, uh, the ceremony, right? Yeah. They have the long jam at the end. Um, that year, he also returned to Sun Studios in Memphis to team up with Roy Orbison, Johnny Cash, and Carl Perkins, along with longtime admirers like John Fogarty, to create the album The Class of 55. I remember this. It was a yeah, video it for it, I think, on MTV, too. In 89, a major motion picture about his early life okay, brought him back into the public eye. Uh, the film was called Great Balls of Fire. It was based on his ex-child bride and cousin's book. Uh, her name was Myra Gale Lewis. Um, and it starred Dennis Quaid as Jerry Lee, Winona Ryder as Myra, and Alec Baldwin as Jimmy Swaggart. Um, and he didn't shoot anybody on the set of that, thank God. Um, <laughs> the movie focuses on the early career of Jerry Lee Lewis and it ends around the time of the scandal in the UK. Okay. So it's just kind of the, when he gets started, the middle of the movie is great balls of fire and all that. And it ends towards the, that whole situation in the UK. Uh, a year later in 1990, Lewis recorded a new song called it. It, uh, I'm sorry. It's called, it was the whiskey talking. Okay. Not me. It was the whiskey talk and not me. Another good country song. And it was featured in the film Dick Tracy. Remember that movie? Yeah, with uh, Warren Beatty. Is that the one? Yeah, Al, Al Pacino and all that. Yeah. yeah. Now, the very public downfall of his televangelist cousin, Jimmy Swaggart, happened around this time as well. And it kind of brought more bad publicity to his troubled family. Uh, Lewis and Swaggart had a very complex and contentious relationship over the years. They would often fight about what each one was doing, okay? And in 1998, Lewis toured Europe with Chuck Berry and Little Richard. Uh, he was he was touring off and on for a few more years. And on February 12, 2005, he was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Recording Academy. Now, on September 26, 2006, he released a new album titled Last Man Standing, featuring a bunch of rock and roll musicians as guest stars. 
it uh, received very positive views, and the album charted on four different Billboard charts. Okay, it got to number one for two weeks on the indie charts as well. Wow! And a DVD titled "Last Man Standing Live" was released in March of two thousand and seven. I believe if you want to see that streaming on YouTube, it's there. Now, moving ahead in October of 2008, as part of a successful European tour, Jerry Lee Lewis appeared at two London shows. There was a private show at the 100 Club on October 25th, and then at the London Forum on October 28th with Wanda Jackson and his sister, Linda Gale Lewis, who I just had the honor of seeing live a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And, uh, I uh, got to meet her afterwards for a few minutes, got a nice picture with her. And she looks just like Jerry Lee, pretty much. Same face. And uh, beautiful, beautiful, uh, just amazing playing. Okay, she plays a lot of his music. She's had her own career, in a sense, you know, kind of since the late 60s. She's like about 12 years younger than him. Okay. Wow. And she told a great story, too, in the audience how she was brought to meet Elvis for the first time when she was 12. And she really wasn't she wasn't really interested in, in seeing Elvis because she was a Jerry Lee Lewis fan. You know, it was a, yeah. her brother, you know, and the, the two Elvis and Jerry Lee were friends, but but they they were doing different things, you know especially by 1959 or so when this happened. But in the, in the story, she told the audience how uh, when she met him, she was knocked over because she just thought he was like the most beautiful man that she had ever seen in her life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Elvis had that effect on people. But, you know, uh, she was great. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw her at a place called Buckley's Valley Stream. <laughs> you know what happened in the Elvis movie where the butt's going... Oh my god! I think they're gonna hurt him, and the dad goes, "Nah, they just want to fuck him." <laughs> yeah, but they they bleep it out though. You don't hear him, but you know that's what he said. That's what he said. It's what he said. I know. I know. That's right, and I, that's a great scene. That's a great scene in that movie because it's a buildup. Like the women are starting to like realize, and, and then they just start screaming. They couldn't they're like. <laughs> And they focus it on his crotch. You know, it's like fun. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the early rock and roll days, man, you know. But they were now, doing, the women were doing that for Jerry Lee Lewis, too. He was as oh, yeah. Was, they were, oh, they yeah. Were, they were, was crazy, too. They were. They absolutely were. Okay, especially if he got up and started wiggling around and, you know, jumping yeah. on the piano and everything. Now, in August of 2009, in advance of his new album, um, a single came out called Mean Old Man, and it was released as a download. Uh, this song was written by Chris Christopherson. Great song, great uh, arrangement, and, and just a perfect lyrics are, are great. You know, he's like, if you think I'm a mean old man, that's what I am. You know, he's just perfect for him, you know. <laughs> and there was an EP that came out uh, with uh, four more songs on it on november 11th and on october 29th 2009 lewis opened the rock and roll hall of fame's 25th anniversary concert at madison square garden in new york city now in may of 2013 jerry lee opened a new club on beale street in memphis club that he owns um in may of 2017 jerry lee lewis made a personal appearance at the country music television uh, special Sky Live, Skyville Live show. Uh, it was a specially recorded show featuring a whole array of artists paying tribute to him. On February 28th, unfortunately, of 2019, Jerry Lee Lewis had a stroke. Damn. Uh, he was at the age of 83. Uh, he had to cancel a series of scheduled shows, and he's still kind of waiting for his doctor's okay to perform live. Uh, I guess during COVID, he had some time to recover as well. Hopefully, he can get out on the road again. But in the meantime, it was announced that Jerry Lee, together with producer T-Bone Burnett, were going to record an album of gospel songs. Uh, it was the first recording he had done since his stroke. Wow. Now, on October 27, 2020, 
to celebrate Jerry Lee's 85th birthday, a live stream, and on YouTube, Facebook, and his official website at the same time. Uh, the special was called Whole Lot of Celebrating Going On, featured appearances and performances by Willie Nelson, Elton John, Mike Love, Priscilla Presley, Joe Walsh, and others. John Stamos was the host of that. Um, and this year, in May of 2022, a documentary was released about his life called Jerry Lee Lewis, Trouble in Mind. So Jerry Lee's still around, uh, still kicking, hopefully recovering from that, that stroke that he had. And hopefully he will be out there. He's a guy that everybody should see once, okay, uh, at least, and uh, see him while he's still with us. He's a national treasure. Um, I didn't talk too much about some of the crazy, crazy, crazy stuff that he did, but I'll, I'll bring a few things up. He was married a total of seven times. Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, he was divorced. He was widowed more than once. Okay. He had a wife drown. He had a son, three-year-old son drown. Okay. He had his very first son, Jerry Lee Lewis Jr., die in a car crash. Uh, he's had a lot of tragedy in his life. Um, I believe he had a, a wife also overdose from drugs, from, from pills. Okay. Uh, he's had one, more than one or two brushes with the law. Okay. He's had several. Um, there's one incident that's kind of funny at the time it, it probably wasn't uh he was drunk high on pills it was 1977 about two months before elvis had passed away uh he, ha he was supposed to meet elvis for something or elvis was supposed to do a favor for him and uh, he, somehow he, got, he got pissed off at elvis and yeah. he drove out to graceland and he had a gun on him and he was drunk and wasted and he drove his car right into the gates Graceland <laughs> and Elvis's cousin, I believe it was part of the you know Memphis mafia that Elvis had, okay, yeah. was guarding the gate and like what do we do with this guy? And Elvis was watching from his closed caption TV from inside. Yeah, and the cops came and El they were asking him, you know, what what do you want to do? He said, lock him up. <laughs> <laughs> he locked his friend up. Oh man. <laughs> And you could you could go you could go online, you could go online and see mug shots of Jerry Lee Lewis and everything. You know he was he was a crazy man, crazy right. man. You yeah, know, but a, crazy man. but a rock, but a rock and roll legend. And uh, everybody should check him out. Get a greatest hits. Check out the country stuff too if if you like country. He also had his song "Middle Age and Crazy." <laughs> yes, "Middle Age and Crazy." That was from years back. Yep, he was amazing, amazing guy. And uh, if went, you have a chance went, to see, he, to, he actually went to, he went there to actually fucking, he went to shoot Elvis. You do realize that, right? Yeah, yeah. He was, like, you know, he was going to Graceland, and he drove through, he drove into the gates. That's as far as he got. I, I still don't understand why he was mad at Elvis, but he, Elvis was supposed to do something. I'm not sure. I'm telling you, man, they were supposed to get some pills. Maybe good stuff. Maybe, and sadly, Elvis would be gone about two months after that. That's because he did. He was fucking with J Jerry Lee Lewis, man. <laughs> the, the killer, the killer. He fucking probably went what? Yeah, I'm bringing yep. my drugs, motherfucker. I kill you. <laughs> it it could have right. been something that simple. Yeah, that's all I got for you today, Mister Rossi. Well. I'm going to show you something funny. Hold on. All right. I got, I got, I got it up. <laughs> I got it up. Hold on. <laughs> I don't see nothing. Oh, this is a beauty, Mike. I don't see it. I don't see it. Where is oh, it? You see it. You see it in a second. <laughs> okay. It's a beauty. Uh -oh. oh, there you go. Yep. <laughs> it's Jerry Lee. Imagine that breaking down your door. Oh, man. That's, you know, that's the arrest after uh, what happened with him and Elvis. Yeah, that was 77. 1970. Yeah, it's like it was June of 77, something like that. 
Yeah, I found the mugshot right away that came up. I was like, God, this is wow. too funny. Yep, yep. You know? So, and also I want to mention, if you have a chance to see Linda Gale Lewis, it's it's worth it. She's been touring uh, a little bit this year, so take a look at, at her, Linda Gale Lewis. If you like his music, she plays it very well. Oh, yeah? Oh, she sings Jerry's songs? She sings his songs and she plays piano, and she... She bangs the piano like him and puts her foot up and everything just like him. You know, it's kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Dude, if you see the picture of him and, and the, the cousin, man, that girl looks young, dude. Yeah, I know, I know. But you, you know something, though? But people in those days in the South did do that. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we look at it today as sick. Back then, it, it, it wasn't. A popular thing even even some people in the south were against it but it wasn't illegal i don't know i don't know what to say you know she's still alive uh yeah. myra myra yeah she's, she's still alive I think. yeah and she occasionally you know does interviews and things like that i'd love to get her on the show oh man hey you never know test it out you never know you never know all right you seem to uh, you seem to bring in some special people every time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always networking everywhere I go. I'm like, is this person interesting? Could they come on the show? You know, even if nobody knows who they are. Well, you got uh, Lou Reed's wife. I thought that was cool. That was cool. That was, that was very a very cool. cool interview. So, Mike, how can people reach you if they need to uh, contact you or they want to ask okay. you questions? Yeah, I'm I'm all over the place. You can find me on Instagram, Rocker Mike Two One Two. I'm also Rocker Mike 212 on Twitter. Uh, if you're looking for me on Facebook, I'm Rock O Mike, Rock O Mike, uh, and also the Rock Show Podcast group page, which you want to join. We've got like a, almost 1,500 members, I think, right now. Yeah. And yeah. if you want to see me on uh, some of the alternative sites like Parlor, MeWe, Getter, Truth Social, uh, I'm under Rocker Mike. How about you, yeah. Rob? And me, you can find me on any uh, thing, getting lumped up. If you uh, trace the uh, lumped up, you go on YouTube, you can go on uh, Facebook, and you can go on Instagram and just look for the marquee getting lumped up. We also got links to our websites. Um, also, we got the shirts, uh, sending shirts and everything else that we can do um, to support the show, to uh, make a buck. And if you really like the show, please uh, subscribe and hit the like button because we want to know how many people do like the show because uh, we have a very su uh, successful uh, rock shows that we done, and we got um, we just need the viewers and we need the people that come watch the show and support it and uh, give us a like and subscribe. And we do these shows every two weeks. You get a brand new episode of the rock show. Um, Mike does a lot of research, writes down a lot of the uh, stuff, and um. You know, we try to have a good time and give people a little information on some artists that you might have not known or that you will know, or you might pick up the music that you never heard because you heard us talking about it. And that's yeah, pretty and, much and, and feel free to leave comments and questions, and I, yeah. I pretty much get back to everybody when I can. Also, um, this show is going to be aired at the beginning of December, and remember at the end of the year, we always do our wrap-up, yearly wrap-up of uh, – We'll talk about the best album of the year, best group album of the year, solo album of the year. We review a couple of movies. Um, yeah. We're putting that all together. Hopefully, we'll have Scott the Clown back. Got to yes. talk to him. Uh, and uh, that'll be it for 2022. I plan to uh, announce a movie of the year and uh, and the documentary of the year also on that show. So music, we got music, musical stuff. documentary, yeah. Yeah, music. that's a new thing that we're going to be doing this year. Because um, we got some good ones that came out. A lot of good stuff came out. But, you know, I'm, I'm leering towards one this one or two movies I already know. that Don't, they got. don't reveal it. Don't reveal it. <laughs> don't spoil it. Do <laughs> so, um, to everybody out there, we'd like to say thank you. Hit the like button. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Mike, you got anything else? Just don't get drunk. Get lumped up. We'll see you next time. Take care, people. I wanna get up top tonight Listen to Rob Rossing and Rock of Mine
just that I'll hear They won't make me wanna rip off my ears Show!